Welcome back to the CPA Success Podcast. I'm Blair Cook. And I'm Jen Nicholson. Today we're talking with Barum Faru, a partner at PwC in the Risk Assurance Services area. Barum is an innovator who excels at defining the art of the possible. And he challenges norms and envisions revolutionary solutions to complex business problems and helps clients chart a path for growth through today's highly disruptive and often volatile technology landscape. His 25-year career spans the globe, and he speaks 10 languages, which is very impressive in our opinion. He's an avid mentor, workshop facilitator, and public speaker on emerging technologies. We're also joined today with Rolandi Tresca, a director at PwC. And Rolandi is a management consultant who helps organizations solve their toughest business problems. His work spans startups to large multinationals. He's worked in corporate strategy development, business transformation assurance, enterprise risk management and governance, and technology strategy and design. And in this episode, I'm going to talk to Baram and Rolandi about blockchain technology and the opportunities for this technology to disrupt across industries. Let's get started. Today we have with us Baran Faru and Rolandi Tresca. Welcome, gentlemen. Uh, before we begin, just because we've got the three of us, uh, Baran, you're with PwC. Can you just tell us your role with PwC? Thank you. So I'm a partner at PwC, and I lead the Emerging Technology Assurance Practice Canada-wide. And we deal with a number of emerging technologies, one of which is obviously blockchain. And aside from it, we deal with artificial intelligence, machine learning, IoT devices, drones, you name it. And the idea is that what we foresee is there will come a time when all these emerging technologies will converge around blockchain, which is the topic Interesting. of the day. Interesting. So yeah, so we that. are going to talk about blockchain. Rolandi, yeah. just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Sure. Uh, so thanks for having us here. Uh, my name is Rolandi. I'm a director in the same practice. I work very closely with Baram. As he's mentioned, there is probably a handful of technologies that keep us very excited day in and day out, but blockchain is certainly one that we feel has probably the most impact and will serve as a foundational technology moving forward into the future and so I would say the majority of our time is is probably dedicated to blockchain right now and uh, we're very excited to be here to talk about it. And as am I. So blockchain is obviously it's rose to prominence over the last uh, year or so but it's obviously got origins kind of leading you know back quite a ways. What is blockchain technology? What's how do people how should people think about blockchain technology? Let me start saying what it's not, and definitely it's not Bitcoin, so let's get that thing clear. But what it's not is something new. It's a bunch of old technologies that have been slapped together to create a new way of dealing with technology. And what I mean by that, the key ingredients in blockchain, it's a peer-to-peer network. And when you say peer-to-peer, you go back to the old days, we used to have Napster, and Napster was a peer-to-peer network, so nothing new over there. It's a distributed ledger technology, which means the data that's on a blockchain gets distributed to all the nodes around the network. That technology has been there for years. Nothing new over there also. What do we mean by no? Just explain that part of it. Okay. So on a peer-to-peer network, every computer that connects to that network becomes what we call a node. And a node means a user on a network that communicates with all the other users out there. So they are called nodes in a technical language. It could be a user Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so we have peer-to-peer network, we have distributed ledger technology, which are key ingredients in blockchain. Then we have other things like consensus, because blockchain creates trust in a trustless society. 
And that is something that we've got to understand very clearly because blockchain is something that's spread around the world and all these different users are jumping onto the common blockchain, don't know each other, yet they want to transact with one another. And how do they do that? How do they generate that trust among themselves when they don't even know who they are talking to? And that's where consensus comes in and we can talk about it more in detail. And the next big one is cryptography. And again, we can talk about it, but I'll let Rodati take it over from here and talk about some of the other attributes. Sure, yeah. So so I think what Baram said is, is a fairly good summary of what, what blockchain is. I guess one point worth clarifying is that blockchain is a type of distributed ledger technology. So if you think of it in a hierarchical fashion, distributed ledger, ledger technology is nothing more than storing data in a distributed manner. And blockchain specifically is one type of that technology that dictates that data should be stored in the form of blocks on a chain, hence the name blockchain. There are different types of DLTs or distributed ledger technologies, but blockchain has risen you know, to, to prominence simply because one of, one of its most successful and commercial use cases was in fact the rise of cryptocurrencies with you know, Bitcoin and Ether leading the charge. But fundamentally, it's a distributed way of storing data, and if you were to really, really simplify it, Blockchain is simply a data management solution. Uh, so what it does really well is it stores data in a secure, easy to access way. Uh, what it doesn't do is help you capture that data. So you still need to rely on having good data that you can then store in a blockchain solution. And that is what I meant when I said convergence of emerging tech, because all these new IoT devices and other AI intelligence systems will be used for data capture and then robotic process automation will be used for data manipulation, but blockchain is the ledger that stores all this data. So right. Roland, you said it right. Data management is what I would call it. Correct. It's interesting how you, you connect all these different technologies together. They're not desperate and, or separate in, in any regard. Correct. You, you see them converging and, and integrating together. Yes, and that's how we've got to look at it going in the future because until now, and we are also guilty of it, We've been talking too much crypto and talk about ICOs and cryptos and everything, but we've got to step beyond that and see what are the applications of blockchain in real world situations and how it can help us with our existing problems. Let's just, uh, and I don't want to make this about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, but that's obviously the most um, public part of the app applying blockchain that's been around for, it's been around almost a decade or more than a decade, but mm -hmm. people are just now trying to turn their head to what this is. Just use, use, use that as maybe a, a use case. How do cryptocurrencies utilize blockchain technology? Sure. So cryptocurrencies were initially designed as a way to exchange value between uh, anonymous peers on a network. Um, traditionally, we've had to rely on some sort of central intermediary to help us do that. Um, obviously, a bank would be an example of that. And so if I wanted to transact with somebody uh, to either receive money or send money, uh, we would do so through a bank. What cryptocurrencies uh, sort of introduced and revolutionized was the way that we exchange that value without that central intermediary. And the way that they use blockchain technology to do that, um, so for example, in the case of Bitcoin, all of Bitcoin transactions are done so on their own blockchain, i.e. the Bitcoin blockchain. And the way in which that happens is everybody on that blockchain is identified through some sort of mechanism. In the case of Bitcoin, it's generally your Bitcoin wallet, think of it as a bank account, that allows you to either receive or send funds. And so if I wanted to send, say, $10 without the use of a bank, I would do so by sending that 10 Bitcoin equivalent dollar 
to the recipient that you know I wish to do so through their digital wallet ID or public key as it's known. And when I've done that, traditionally the bank would verify that transaction. So the bank would ensure that you know the ten dollars are leaving my bank account and they're going to person X's bank account. What blockchain does, and specifically for Bitcoin, is it puts that validation authority into the hands of all of the network participants. And this is where the concept of consensus comes in, because essentially what then happens is as transactions are added to what's known as a block, those blocks are effectively validated by the network participants. In, to other, say words, in that, other words, the nodes, right? Correct, yeah. The nodes essentially validate to say that these transactions actually occurred. And we can discuss in more detail, if you wish, in terms of how that happens, but that's uh, traditionally what's known as the concept of mining or crypto mining. Uh, and they have an incentive to do that because they're rewarded with net new Bitcoin when they validate the transactions. And the moment they validate the transaction to say that, yes, that $10 equivalent of Bitcoin has flowed from person A to person B, that information is then stored on the blockchain and is what's known as immutable, meaning you cannot change it. It's stored there forever, forever. in history. And this concept that Rolandi mentioned about mining is what is known as proof of work. And with blockchain, there are different means of validating. So the Bitcoin blockchain relies on proof of work, which means that the person who is validating this particular transaction or block has to do a fair bit of work to get to the result. Right. And on a Bitcoin blockchain, it takes 10 minutes. On an Ethereum blockchain, it may take 14 seconds. So it depends which blockchain we're talking about. But this proof of work is what defines or what creates this consensus amongst the different nodes saying this is a valid transaction or not. So the beauty of blockchain is, in a proof of work scenario, is that consensus dictates whether a transaction is valid or not. The opposite end of it is, if too many people take power over this network, they could actually dictate it otherwise also. Because in the end, it is about majority rule. So if the majority agree, that a particular transaction which is supposed to be valid and they agree that it's not valid, then it becomes invalid. Mm -hmm. No matter what the real transaction was underneath that. And on a Bitcoin blockchain, this is why we say that if you do any transaction, you should wait at least one hour to confirm that the transaction went through. Because like I said, a Bitcoin blockchain a block gets mined every 10 minutes and there are six chunks of 10 minutes within the hour. So they're saying, by the time you've got six blocks added onto your block, you can be rest assured that your block is valid now. Right. So here, this is a, that was a good, and that's really where blockchain technology got started with, just allowing people to transfer funds back and forth. But now we've seen in the last year an explosion of uh, even cryptocurrencies, which are, and, and they've moved beyond just exchanging value now. What are some of the use cases you're seeing just with cryptocurrencies beyond just exchange of value? So there is a number of them. I think one interesting one is the, is the notion of tokenization. Uh, and what I mean by that is businesses are now thinking of ways to tokenize the products and services that they offer. Uh, an example of that would be uh, decentralized cloud storage. So think of a company that uh, essentially captures idle bandwidth from organizations, from end users, from whomever, takes that bandwidth and stitches it together in a decentralized format and offers that bandwidth to its consumers 
through a token, meaning that instead of me buying 100 megabytes from this provider, I would buy two tokens which are traded on a blockchain platform that represent that 100 megabytes worth of service. And if I wish to then use that service to host a website, to host a business application, whatever I choose to use it for, I redeem one of my tokens. It's kind of like an arcade. You go to the arcade to play games, you know, the machine doesn't take your dollar bill, it takes a token which you right. paid for with the dollar bill. So the tokenization economy, which is very much hinged on a common set of principles or characteristics that crypto is, is actually a very you know, cool and innovative way for organizations to offer their products and services in today's market with a global reach. So, but traditional people would say, well, why do we introduce tokenization when I can just pay, pay for somebody with hard-earned cash to do the same thing? The, What's the advantage the that the blockchain... The advantage over there is, so Rolandi gave an example of Arcade, and that's very good actually. With an Arcade token, you can use that token only for a particular Arcade machine. You can't use it anywhere else. And if you go into our normal world today, you have coupons. You can go to Walmart and get coupons for Walmart, and you can use those coupons only within Walmart for those purchases. With tokenization, what you can do with it is, today this token may be worth... $10 for a specific product. Tomorrow, the same token may be used for something else altogether, completely unrelated to that. So the speed with which you can change the value behind a token is again where blockchain comes into play. And this is the beauty of tokenization as opposed to our traditional way of conducting business. Right. Think about loyalty points. Think about when we go to Air Canada, we have our aeroplane points, right? And aeroplane only works on Air Canada. Mm -hmm. And what these airlines are trying to do, there are other companies out there who say, okay, you give me aeroplane points and in return for that, I will give you points with KLM or something like that. And they try to do this as an intermediary. What the blockchain tokenization will do is that intermediary will no longer be in existence. So you got a token and you want to use it for Air Canada, you can do that. You want to use it for Emirates, you can do that. It's just different valuation behind it. And that's the idea behind tokenization. The, the one thing that I would add to that, so think of that as, a, as, as, as programmable money or a programmable token, meaning that, as Baram said, its attributes can change instantly. So if you're a company and you want to offer your customers uh, you know, a special promotion over the weekend, the 10 tokens that I had today that are worth X for whatever product or service may be worth something different instantly. So that's certainly one benefit. The other quick benefit that I'll add to that is that now, as opposed to any time in history, I think, you really, as an organization, have global reach through tokenization, meaning you no longer have to rely on transacting with fiat currency, which I think we take for granted in a well-oiled financial system like that in North America. Right. But to offer those same products and services to countries without access to financial services or without access to the same mediums of exchange that we have today, tokenization is almost a no-brainer, right? And so you don't need to use Canadian dollars or US dollars in an area where that's not possible. You can use tokens to exchange value in the same way that you would with currency. You know, there are a lot of people in third world countries or elsewhere that may not have a bank accounts, but they carry two or three cell phones on them. Exactly. Yeah. So the whole idea of tokenization and blockchain is to reach out to those people where you do banking in a bankless society. And that's the beauty of blockchain again. The other thing, and one more question on cryptocurrency, and we'll move broader than that. You hear tell of smart contracts. Yes. And, you know, Ethereum is built on a smart contract platform. What is a smart contract? And how does, 
how does the blockchain and, and cryptocurrencies enable a smart contract? Sure. So a smart contract, I think, uh, so, so again, putting crypto aside entirely, a smart contract is essentially a programmable set of requirements that self-execute as and when events occur on the blockchain. I'll use a simple example to illustrate it. Uh, let's say I want to sell my car to you. Uh, in a traditional world, again, that could be a very simple cash transaction, but in a more sophisticated sale, typically we would have some sort of contract with terms and conditions that perhaps is notarized by a lawyer and enforced, legally enforceable in a court of law should our car transaction go sideways. And that costs a lot of time, it costs money, it's generally not as efficient, and it's paper-based most of the time. What a smart contract does instead is it allows you to write a programmable contract in code, primarily on the Ethereum network, that will essentially dictate a set of conditions that must occur for the sale of this card to happen. So for example, the very first thing on the smart contract will be something along the lines of, Rolandi must pay person X, uh, I don't know, 100 Bitcoin or 10 Bitcoin or whatever, for the purchase of this car. The moment that transaction happens on the blockchain, so in other words, when that transaction is posted on the blockchain, as the smart contract is listening for those events, it identifies that this transfer of money has happened and therefore it executes the very first part of the contract. And then maybe the second part of that contract says that we now have to go to the Ministry of Transportation and formally change ownership from me to you. And again, as that event happens, it will be stored on a blockchain. It won't or, be stored on the Bitcoin blockchain. It'll be stored on a different blockchain that essentially captures identities of vehicle ownership, right? Anyway, once that's done, the second part of the contract will execute and so on and so forth until all of the conditions in that contract are met for the contract itself to be fully executed. So it's a way of automating a contractual obligation between two parties with events that happen on a blockchain. And again, no need for banks, no need for lawyers, no need for notaries. It's a very so quick it, and efficient way. In that example, is it the Ethereum network that's making it, bringing the integrity to the contract and, and monitoring it through, or how does that, why is it on the Ethereum network? Because yeah. the Ethereum blockchain allows you to create the smart contracts in code. So the way the code is written in there, a Bitcoin blockchain does not allow for that. Yeah. So you use the open source code for the Ethereum blockchain, and then you program it to your requirements. And with Rolandi's example, it's not just the two parties transacting in that car sale, but maybe the Ministry of Transportation is also a node on the blockchain. So the more parties that get involved in a particular transaction right. are nodes on the blockchain, right. they're constantly listening and the program self-executes. So think of a smart contract as a glorified macro in today's world. And all the mac all the only thing that the macro is doing is listening constantly to see what's happening over here. And the minute a transition happens when one party said, I'm selling my car to you and I'm taking this cash from you, the smart contract is aware who else needs to be informed, Ministry of Transportation, to do the license plate transfer, whatever else, and it right. triggers all those events. And if those parties are nodes on the blockchain, there's nothing else to be done. It's all self-executed. That's the beauty of a smart contract. Interesting. Well, let's move on and talk a little bit more about blockchain technology and applications outside of you know the cryptocurrency world. What are you seeing in terms of uh, some of the work you're doing with some of your clients there? What are the applications? Sure. So uh, one area that we've definitely seen a lot of interest in is the world of supply chain. Uh, and supply chain is obviously a very broad and, and perhaps generic term. But some specific use cases in the supply chain world are things around food safety. Uh, so 
now more than ever, I think there is a demand from consumers to be very well informed about the food that they're eating. There's obviously a very health conscious sort of lifestyle that a number of people uh, want to lead. And even from the perspective of keeping consumers safe, it's become an utmost priority for organizations to do that with the recent headlines that I'm sure we've seen, whether it be the Chipotle chicken uh, you know, fiasco or, or many others. And so what blockchain is helping to do in those cases is essentially capture the data related to the food that you're consuming and make that publicly available in a transparent way that has never been done before. So think of a farm to fork initiative, meaning that if you're going to buy eggs from a farmer, or if you're going to buy dairy products or meat from a farmer, from the moment the product is literally produced or manufactured to the point where it's available on a shelf in a supermarket, you as a consumer will have unprecedented access to information about the product that you're consuming. And so if you've ever thought about, you know, is this product truly organic or, uh, you know, were these uh, cows truly farm fed or whatever the use case may be, you now have an immutable record of everything uh, having to do with that product. Similarly, in the world of precious stones, for example, there is a company that's actually digitized diamonds. And so you can actually have, again, a full view of the diamond life cycle to combat things like uh, blood diamonds and things of that nature. And so you know that the diamond was actually mined from, you know, where the company claims it was mined and a whole slew of other cases. But in essence, I think any product that exchanges multiple hands is and especially one that's either you know has a health angle to it or has some sort of precious value or whatever whatever you want to call it is 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 quite a good candidate for blockchain technology just because it allows you to validate the authenticity and you know the the, the legitimacy of that product so i think that i don't know if you want to maybe if add i may just of, add to that and i'll take an example that we use all the time in today's world when we talk about erp systems we talk about single source of truth we said that your ERP gives you a single source of truth. With blockchain, we also say it gives you a single source of truth. So what's the difference over here? So the difference is this. Imagine that you are buying a product from somewhere far east and it's coming to North America. It gets shipped from a warehouse, loaded onto a truck, goes to the dock, stays there for a while to clear customs, gets put onto a ship, goes across the waters, gets unloaded at Cape Town. Over there, there's a bit of delay for customs, gets put on a ship again, comes to say, New Brunswick, gets put on a cargo truck and comes to use. There's a lot of parties involved in between. Each one of these parties would have their own ERP system, right? And they would have their own invoicing system and their own goods to sit on. So every time a person is delivering something from one end to another end, whereas goods or service, they're invoicing the other There's party. Piece of paper that's going... Piece of paper that's going back and forth. Right. But that piece of paper is only between the two parties, party A and party B. And once the transfer is over, yeah. party B now transfers with party C and party C with party D and so forth. And imagine each one of them has their own individual ERP systems and party X at the far end has no line of sight to party A's ERP and they don't know where the shipment came from. With blockchain, you get a single view to the, to the entire data movement. So if instead of having multiple ERPs, all the parties become a node on this supply chain blockchain, then the minute something gets shipped from out there from party A, party X has a line of sight to it and they can clearly see how the item is moving across the chain and this could be geographical chain, but on the blockchain, you can see this happening also. And 
why it's important with supply chain is not so much from a supply perspective, but more from a returns perspective. I don't know if you deal with Amazon at all, but how many times you bought things on Amazon, maybe a small value item, 20 bucks, 30 bucks, you didn't like it, you wanted to return it, and what does Amazon say to you? Keep it, we'll send you another one. They don't want you to return it, and you know why? It's more costly for them to return the item because now they've got to trace the whole step back through all these multiple intermediaries, and it's not worth the effort. Yeah. What blockchain does for you, it gives you clear light of sight. And at that time, your way of doing business or the way you manage your costs will change drastically from what we are aware of today. If I can just add one thing to that, because I think you touched on an important point, Baram, in terms of being able to trace things back. Two quick examples. One, in the airline industry, uh, the manufacturing of planes, you wouldn't believe how many parts mm. that are on a plane I wouldn't uh, believe that. I'd hope. Well, I can imagine there's a lot of parts. when they need to return something. When they need to return uh, something because of a defective part or whatnot, because that supply chain is so complex, oftentimes airline manufacturers don't know where the part came from. They don't know who the supplier is because it's changed hands hundreds and hundreds of times. Not only that, but you know the part that's on a particular plane may not have come for that plane. It may have come for another plane. Right. And when they ground the planes, they take part. They like basically salvage parts from one plane and put into another plane. So there's no traceability. Yeah, and, and blockchain can help with that. And, and we are saying this because we have a client that we're dealing with, so and we're the, more and aware the, of this. And the, and the Walmart example, which is also an interesting one, Walmart took a mango and said, we want to know where this mango came from. We sell it to our customers, we want to know where it came from. They did a traceback analysis on one mango. It took them um, six days and 28 hours, something like that. Why? Because, again, it was so complex. Then, obviously, under a very controlled environment with specific circumstances, they took that same mango and put its life cycle on a blockchain. And it took him 2.2 seconds to find out where it came from. Wow. So, again, you know, that's, that's the real power of having that transparent line of sight. I think transparency, I think you've really highlighted a couple of use cases there as to the advantage of transparency. Let's just flip over and say, like, you know, we, we've got to set up a blockchain. It's going to be complicated. We're going to have to bring you folks in. There's, there's obviously costs associated. What about the efficiencies? There's got to be something that comes out of the blockchain uh, as well if I'm setting up a supply chain uh, blockchain. Is there money to be saved here? Is there a business case for this? Okay, so let me first start with something else. Not every problem can be solved with a blockchain. Blockchain is not a solution looking for a problem, so be careful with that. Because we go and talk to clients who want to do something on blockchain, mm -hmm. and we ask, okay, what's your need and what's your requirement? And it may very well be solved with a simple database. So be mindful of that. So once we've got that tackled, when you talk of efficiency, it is the cost of doing business that actually drastically goes down. Because the amount of research you would have to do to, in my example, to go back and trace where the part came from and how we got to return it, there are a number of steps involved. With blockchain, this is all transparent to you and it's available instantaneously to you. That's the beauty of blockchain. The easiest way I can compare blockchain is, is nothing different than an ERP that we are aware of today. Except in ERP, the information is in plain sight. In blockchain, is cryptographically encoded, so it's cryptic. And in ERP, it's only limited to your own little organization. But with blockchain, you could open up to the entire world out there. If it's a public blockchain, if you make it a private blockchain, of course, you decide who gets to be a node on the blockchain. But that is where also if your customers and your suppliers opt to become a node on the blockchain, then they would have this line of sight to it. Yeah, so you talked about public and private blockchains. Maybe just explain what that difference is. Like, 
in a public blockchain, which is the first examples we were talking about. Just yeah, so the Bitcoin blockchain, for example, is an example of a public blockchain. Right. Uh, what that means is that entrants can come and go as they please, uh, and the ledger, the distributed ledger that everybody makes reference to, is publicly available. If you wanted to, you could download the Bitcoin blockchain on your machine. Um, it's available. It's as simple as installing software. Yeah, it would take a long time and it's a lot of data, but and it's available. Anybody can become a node? Anybody. anybody can become a node, both from the perspective of transacting on the Bitcoin blockchain and from the perspective of becoming what's known as a quote-unquote mining node, where you actually validate the transactions on Bitcoin uh, through, through mining, essentially. Right. So does the public blockchain require uh, a mining function, an incentive for people to keep the thing going? That really depends on what consensus mechanism is being used. So to Baram's point, in a proof-of-work consensus protocol where somebody has to quote-unquote work to validate transactions, then yes, that's where the mining concept uh, holds true. But more and more you hear of proof-of-stake consensus me uh, mechanism or proof-of-authority consensus mechanism where in a proof-of-authority example you have one central authority that is the designated actor for validating transactions and in that case then you don't necessarily need consensus amongst multiple people it's one person deciding that so those are examples of public blockchains and again as the name implies it's public you can jump in and out with the important characteristic of anonymity uh, so again, we transact in Bitcoin, you don't know who the money is going to or where it's coming from. You do know that it's coming from this public key to this public key. Yeah, it's extremely transparent, but you're right. It's all, it's all anonymous. Correct, correct. And that was kind of one of the you know, philosophical angles of Bitcoin when, eventually, when it was in, initially uh, introduced to be able to transact anonymously. A private blockchain, and, and let me just add one more thing. The reason, what, the reason why public blockchains are, are special, if you will, is because you don't know any of the other participants. So again, it's, it's, it's giving rise to the exchange of value amongst unknown parties, which is difficult to do without blockchain. Because again, I can't, short of me handing you cash as a stranger, I can't send you that money without me knowing who you are. In a private blockchain, you don't necessarily use blockchain for the characteristics of what a public blockchain offers, i.e. being able to exchange value in an anonymous way. What you use it for are some of the other efficiencies or benefits that a blockchain has. Because presumably in a private blockchain, the parties are known to one another. So if the big five banks, for example, wanted to form a consortium of using a blockchain solution for payments between one another to essentially leverage efficiencies and things like settlements, which take a long time, contracts, etc., etc., they would have a blockchain solution, but they would be known to each other. Mm -hmm. They would know that RBC is RBC and TD is TD. And in that case, then you don't, you don't necessarily need this mining concept because nobody needs to work hard to validate the transactions. They trust each other. You may have this proof of authority concept where one bank or maybe the national bank or the central bank is then serving that quote-unquote mining function. So big difference between public and private, but the most important takeaway is that the reasons why you would use a public blockchain versus a private blockchain differ based on the use case. In the beginning, you mentioned that blockchain has been around for a decade, but we are just seeing this come into prominence over the last year or so. That is the reason, because blockchain by definition is supposed to be anonymous. It is supposed to have no intermediary, no authority. And that's what the public blockchain initially started with Bitcoin. And in the beginning, all of us, banks included and professional firms, we were sort of frowning upon it and saying, you know what, that's not the way to go. But as we see it being adapted more and more, 
everybody started realizing maybe there is something behind blockchain, but how can we make it more kosher, so to speak? So then they said we need to have some sort of a mechanism where we can control it. So they took the anonymity out of it. They took the consensus out of it. And that's where this other proof of authority and proof of stake concepts came in because initially it was all proof of work. But the blockchain in itself has other attributes that make it so much more powerful. For example, in my example of supply chain, if you have one single blockchain across the international geographical territories and multiple nodes on the blockchain, they get a clear line of sight to a transaction and your efficiencies come in, your costs go down. And that's where I see the business going in the future. But this concept of using blockchain for business purposes, as opposed to just the crypto side of it, has really come into I would say prominence over the last couple of years only. And yeah, we're getting near our time here, but perhaps I just want to explore this a little bit further because I think it's a really interesting part of emerging technologies is the applications for blockchain. Uh, with your work with clients, what are just, without getting into the details of them, but what are some of the, the industries, the processes, what are the, where are people starting to implement? You use the good supply chain. We did a deep dive there, but what are some of the other applications you're seeing? The other best example I can quote right now is GDPR. So you know about GDPR. Europe has come up with the GDPR. Just, just, just GDPR, what does that stand for? So it's the General Data Protection Act for uh, data for European citizens. And it's essentially a set of rules that must be adhered to when dealing with uh, the storage of information as it relates to European citizens. So this came into being on May 25th, very recently. And now any company that's not compliant to it will get penalized. And how do they become compliant? How do they save a cust European customer's information in their system without compromising it? And that is where some of us are thinking that blockchain could be the solution for it because of its anonymity, because of its cryptographic nature. And I can't go into too much detail because yeah. now it's getting to IP over here. But that could be one of the solutions to implement GDPR across the world because blockchain spans geographic boundaries and GDPR is also something that needs to span geographic boundaries. So that's a good example of it. Yeah, so some other ones, just to quickly rifle them off, uh, digital identity is big on blockchain. So again, being able to store attributes of identity in a very unique way. Um, we've seen real life working examples of that. Um, other industries such as manufacturing, for example, uh, there is, um, a lot of benefits and efficiencies there uh, in, again, kind of ties into supply chain, but not really. It's just really driving the cost down um, of, you know, things like just in time and things of that nature. Um, certification. Certification, and I was going to say payments as well, without really a crypto use case, but giving rise to a digital economy, especially in the parts of the world where financial services are not as readily available. Uh, so again, huge use cases there. The point that Baram was talking about, uh, certification, meaning that things like land registry, ownership of land, um, any sort of um, you know, uh, paperback, paperback sort of asset, whether it's you know, digitizing university degrees, or liquor licenses, et cetera, et cetera, in parts of the world where they are, for example, susceptible to fraud or tampering with, again, huge use cases in blockchain there as well. So I'll give you guys the last word here, but uh, if, for our members, the CPA members, if we want to learn more, there's so much we talked about. We can only cover off so much of this emerging technology. What's the best way to get more information on blockchain? Is there a go-to website that you guys 
stay on top of for, for your thought leadership or your own website? So we do a lot of research and I'd be the first to say that I don't know everything that's out there on blockchain. We are constantly learning and things are constantly evolving in the space. However, likes of CPA Canada and other professional organizations, they do a good job of putting thought material out there for the general public. So they should be looking at it and reading up on that. And the best way to understand something, whether it's blockchain or any other technology, is to just get in and get your hands dirty. Just reading it on the internet or in books is not going to make you aware of it. The thing is, you've got to be careful which areas you want to go and bring blockchain in. Because the problem you may run into is you might try to bring blockchain in an area where it has absolutely no rhyme or reason to bring it in. And then you'll be going down a path which is never ending and you'll be frustrated over there. So that is where if you have this community of like-minded professionals like CPA members of CPA Canada to work with, so they should be collaborating together and trying to communicate with each other and see how each one of them is grappling with this problem, so to speak. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of uh, professionals like yourselves who are on the cutting edge, more than willing to talk to people about opportunities. Always welcome. Absolutely. And Toronto is a hotbed for blockchain, believe it or not. You know, the, the number of meetups that you have in Toronto are like you probably have a dozen meetups a week uh, discussing all sorts of things, whether it's crypto or not. So uh, generally they're free as well. So There's something happening every night in core downtown Toronto. Yeah. You just be <laughs> looped into that. Yeah. Interesting. Well, thanks so much, guys, for dropping by. Uh, a fascinating discussion. Thank you. And Merlant? Our pleasure. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much.